I'm Lake Miller. And I'm Hannah Brown. Welcome to Gem City Diversity, a podcast where we talk about diversity and inclusion in the Dayton area. We're from the National Conference for Community and Justice of Greater Dayton, or NCCJ. NCCJ works in the Miami Valley to increase understanding around the topics of diversity and inclusion. In this part two episode of our three-part series on deaf culture, Lake continues his conversation with C3 and Maya. Last week, they talked about their upbringing, education, and how the two of them met. This week, they'll be diving in more to what's going on with them today. They'll discuss their jobs, their work accommodations, and a bit about what hearing people can do to provide better accommodations for deaf people in the workplace. Enjoy! So, can I ask, what are you both doing today then? I know that you've each mentioned kind of this, these federal jobs that you have. Um, so what is it that you do? So my job, I work for a federal agency that maybe is a little bit sensitive to mention right now. So I personally would rather not talk too much about what my job is. But I have a federal, I've been a federal employee for about eight years now. For three and a half years, I served in Indiana, and now I'm working for a different federal agency. I've only worked for two throughout the duration of eight years. C3 can elaborate on her job a little bit more, so I'll let her take the stage. (laughs) So I work for the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, as a EEO specialist where I advise different federal agencies on their EEO programs and ensuring that they meet compliance with EEOC's regulations as well as federal laws. Uh, So I like to say that we focus on finding ways to eradicate workplace discrimination uh, and civil rights in general is an area that I'm interested in And while I feel this is not a job that I will stay in for a long time, I feel pretty loyal to the agency since it's been good to me, the people there are good to me. And like I was saying before, top-notch accommodations and the benefits are incredible in the federal government. And like Maya was saying, there are numerous opportunities. It's easy to hop around and find something else, but stay in the area. So we'll see where that takes me. I know that you, um, C3, have mentioned kind of these top-notch accommodations numerous times. So I'm curious, um, what are the accommodations that both of you get at work? And, you know, my sense from somebody, and, and this is probably totally wrong, maybe, maybe not, I don't know, is that I imagine that somebody has an interpreter at work, but perhaps that's totally incorrect. So I'm curious if you can tell us um, what those accommodations look like and also, um, Are there additional things that you think, you know, maybe I wish that this accommodation existed? So for my agency, they have staff interpreters. They all have their own office. They're paid just like full-time federal employees are paid. This means we have real-time ability to call an interpreter to come next door to our office, to our meetings, to our conference room and to interpret for us. And so when it comes to top-notch accommodations, I think about timeliness, the ease of getting those services, and 
you know, them being available at all times. And there are, there's more than one staff individual. So we can also see who is our best match and have those people come in. Also, we have the ability to be able to um, describe why we may need more than just interpreters, but that we also need a C-print service. For example, when I do technical assistance meetings with federal agencies and they come to our agency, I ask for a C-print because essentially it allows me to have real-time note-taking so that I can focus visually on the interpretive service since I wouldn't be able to do both at the same time. Also, my agency recognizes that for me to perform at my best, it's good for me to have those services, but in addition, they will ask, what else do you need? That what else? You don't really hear that. People think about, okay, we're gonna give you one thing, good enough, hope you're good to go, bye. Whereas in this case, they're stretching it further every time. And so the what else for me is having an additional staff uh, person who's on my team to come to those meetings as well and to support me, whatever it is that I may need. Or if I didn't quite get something, they can hop in and be able to provide the answer that I may have had in my back pocket but didn't catch up quite yet at that point. So those are what I consider top-notch services. And can I really quickly ask, I know you had mentioned C-Print, and I'm curious if you can just briefly touch on what C-Print is and what that looks like. So C-Print would typically be another one body who's in the room or maybe somewhere in the corner of the room. They're a fly on the wall. They are essentially typing what is being said in the room, whoever it is and they may have um, labels to describe who those people are. I am able to see those captions on a separate device in the space that I'm in. So it's real-time captioning that is coming to my device, if I would like to see it at that time. And interpreting services is a warm body in the room. Typically, it's a team. If it's a meeting that is over 30 minutes, over an hour, there's two people there who are interpreting also what's being said in the room. Whether they are voicing for the client, the deaf client, if the deaf client is signing, or and if they are signing for the people in the room who are voicing. Thank you. I do remember, remember that Cecilia works for the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. So they kind of are required to have top-notch accommodations for her. Now, for me, the, at the agency I work for now, I'm very fortunate. I have wonderful accommodations as well. I really can't complain. Mine are definitely different than C3s. I don't have a full-time interpreter there, but I do have a, a contractor there. I usually go in every Thursday. I'm not right now, but usually I go in every Thursday and I have an interpreter with me. Before, I would go in a few days a week, and I wouldn't always have an interpreter with me because I don't necessarily need an interpreter with me all the time. Maybe I might need them Tuesdays or Wednesday, but right now, I only need one on Thursdays. On other days, on other days ad hoc, 
request, which means that we would call, you know, if they, I have a training or something in two weeks, I can call ad hoc and be like, okay, I need an interpreter. And that way it gives them a week in advance for that request. That way the accommodation can be made. Um, another accommodation that I have is making phone calls. I mean, how can I make a phone call if I don't have an interpreter? I've been provided with an iPad that includes an app that connects to an interpreter, which connects to a hearing individual or a hearing individual connects with an interpreter and connects to me. And that's kind of like my video phone, that iPad device that allows me to make phone calls just like everybody else. And it allows people to call me just like everybody else. The only difference is, is that there's an interpreter. And I would say that the only frustration I have, I think that I can say this because I think it's applicable to a lot of people, but if there's a last minute meeting, it's hard for me to be a part of that because how am I supposed to request an interpreter or the second option, the agency, just like most agencies, they would install new software because some agencies pay additional for a phone number to be included. So if there's no interpreter, they can call and use that number. But in my situation, that phone number is not included, meaning that there's not even anything I can call into or plug into because with the video phone, you have to use a phone number. I can't just use the video phone. But I did bring this up with a couple people and they were able to respond really quickly and they're working on it. They're working with a company that has established software for us. But I just feel like I'm always going to find a way to be frustrated throughout my life. This is my frustration currently, but I know that it will be resolved and I'm proud of the agency I work for because I know that they're working on it. They're listening to me. They're trying their best to accommodate. They're very they know very well what my situation is and they're very attentive to people like me who work there. So I really appreciate the agency more now for taking those steps. And it sounds like kind of what I'm getting from the both of you is that communication is really key here, right? I mean, I, would that be a correct summary that having these two-way conversations and saying, what are your needs is really for an employer, the best place to start? Yes, absolutely. And I just wanted to add that it's really important for people to have empathy, to be considerate, to be patient. Like right now, my supervisor, oh, just absolutely amazing, phenomenal. One of the biggest reasons why I've been able to stay longer at my job. My job is great. I'm having a wonderful experience. I'm learning a lot, uh, you know, and I'm still learning. And I've been in this job for one or two years now, but my supervisor makes the difference. She supports me. She encourages me. She uplifts me. She wants me to grow. She sees me as a person and I feel really comfortable and valued. So I feel that a supervisor is really key in having those conversations as well. When people show empathy and show consideration and show effort, then you know you're in the right place. Simultaneously, I did work at the same agency that I worked for before, but I worked under somebody who wasn't as empathetic. And it was much tougher because, you know, I don't blame them. Maybe they had never worked with a disabled person before. They didn't know how to provide the accommodations or what to do. And I get that, you know, I see it all the time. This is a learning opportunity. It's a learning experience, but it can be frustrating. I mean, that's just how we survive through this. We do our best. We keep pushing forward. And sometimes we don't have the best of it. But I think that those three things are very important. Empathy, consideration, and patience for most people. I personally feel that 
people who do co-ops, people who go to other countries, people who connect with people that way, their experiences build. I can't speak for everyone, but I feel like where people come from can impact where they are today. Like my supervisor, she had never worked with a disabled person before, but now maybe the next time that she works with a person with disabilities, she's learning from the experience she had with me, you know? So that's why I'm saying a lot of this is a learning opportunity for everybody. And hopefully they take it well and they're able to apply that for other people and make the lives of other people as easy as my, mine have been, has been made. So I want to I wanna add there, I, I love this point. And I often say that I think conversation is like the most important first step in, in becoming more familiar and comfortable in a situation. So I'm curious what advice or maybe what you would want a hearing person to know, someone who is really unfamiliar with deaf culture, if they're coming into a space where they're dealing with a deaf person for the first time, and maybe they're uncomfortable approaching those conversations, they're afraid of saying the, the incorrect thing, what, what would you want that person to know? I think the key thing is patience. Any situation that we're not familiar with, where there may be some form of discomfort or being naive, or not knowing what exactly to do to get or to meet the person at the same table, is patience. Both people at that table are figuring it out. I think that from there, depending on who the two people are at the table, they may have certain needs that are being communicated. Um, for example, the hearing person. The reason why I say it this way is because it's a huge misconception that all deaf people have the same needs and abilities. There may be times when a deaf person can speak for themselves verbally, or they choose to speak verbally. That's taken care of. But what if they see another deaf person assuming that because I met the one deaf person who can speak verbally, that this one can too, or will also speak verbally. Also, when it comes to ability to lip read, the ability to uh, take notes or to write to one another, uh, or use the phone, there are different preferences and levels of um, communicating that can be used. Can I, can I interrupt? You said hearing people now, it seems like they take advantage of Siri. It's kind of like using that. You have many resources that you can be using to speak and translate sentences. And that's one thing too. I just wanted to add to what C3 was saying. Somebody, just because a person can speak, a deaf person can verbalize, doesn't mean somebody else can. But I wanna emphasize that because just because that deaf person can speak, doesn't mean that they have the hearing equivalent to that. Oh, you can talk, that means you can hear. I'm just gonna talk to you like normal. And that doesn't mean the same thing because they're not gonna catch all of what you're saying because they still have a hearing loss. They still have, they still can't hear. Just hearing and talking are two very very different things and they don't correlate necessarily with each other so i apologize for interrupting c3 i just wanted to jump in and i also wanted to share a story when i was younger i went shopping you know and everybody now is wearing masks you know which is fine everybody can wear masks 
but I, I wanted something I can't hear, you know, and I showed somebody my phone and I said, I want these things. And the person I wanted, well, the point is, the point is the person started talking to me and I was like, oh, you know, in a mask, like I can't even, I can't even lip read or get any cues or facial cues. And I told her like, I signed, I said, I can't hear. And they kept talking to me and I typed and I said, I can't hear. I tried showing them and they kept talking to me and things like that happen all the time. So if I'm showing you my phone and I'm telling you, I can't hear. I was just surprised because even when they're wearing a mask, I think at one point she finally pulled down her mask. I know she wasn't supposed to so that I could lip read, but it's also a misconception because sometimes, yes, deaf people do lip read better than some people, but not all deaf people can lip read well. So I think it's that's all, a problem. I also think it's more of not everybody enunciates Clearly, not everybody has, yeah, clear like, movement. I mean, in that arena is so vast with lip reading. I think it's just one of those very misconstrued conceptions that it, I feel like it should not be a default to, to fall back on lip reading and hope that it works. It's only a supplement to helping communication go more smoothly. So I feel that people um, would need to push themselves to be more creative in figuring out how to communicate, whether that be writing on a piece of paper, typing on the phone, using a combination of gestures, pointing, because like at a market, a grocery store, Maya might say, I would like to have half a pound of flank steak. They can point at their flank steak and maybe Maya then will be like, yes, that's what I would like to have. And then she can put down the number of pounds that she'd like. I feel like in many of the customer relations situations, it's very simple. I feel like it, hearing people can take it just a little step further um, to meeting us where we're at. Yes, absolutely. And something else to add is some of us can lip read. If that person is easy to understand, you know, we can start taking those cues. We might miss a few key words though. And after a specific amount of time, we can become visually exhausted because you're constantly taking in those things where a hearing person would hear, we're putting in all of our effort to figure it out. So after an hour and a half, you know, it depends on the situation. I'm just gonna start to zone out because I cannot keep putting all of my energy into my eyes. It really is a lot of work. Some people have natural skill and that's fine, but each person is individual. So this is the interpreter, Gloria. I just wanted to add something. When I was studying, one thing that interpreters often come across during our work is hearing people who will like try to lip read and voice to deaf individuals. The truth of the matter, if you're a numbers person, lip reading is only effective for those who are the best at lip reading. It's only about 30% effective. So if you're communicating with somebody, you're telling a story, imagine only getting 30% of that story. That's 
it. That is the max. There is no way, no ability to say with certainty that lip reading is an accurate form of communication. And hearing people have been trained and mistaught to use that as a way to communicate when in reality, it is a very ineffective form of communication. And that's something that we learned in our interpreter programs. Okay, back to Gloria being Maya now. Thank you. So if I can throw in right here. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that goes around on social media about communicating with deaf individuals and um, deaf culture and, and as anything on social media, who knows what the origins of those are? Who knows if, you know, maybe they were true for one person, but not for others. So I'm curious, first off, I've heard this notion of advocating for like basic ASL to be across like a broad knowledge for anyone in the service industry. Are you an advocate for service industry professionals to learn basic ASL? Do you think it's sufficient to just, you know, have people trained and, and ready to write? You know, we've certainly seen examples on social media. I know, for example, right now, I've seen something going around about Starbucks where a deaf individual is at the screen at Starbucks and then somebody popped up on the window and started signing with them. Um, but we've also seen examples where deaf individuals were not able to order. I know for those individuals who are listening in Dayton, there was an example in Kettering where at Taco Bell, somebody was not served who was deaf and trying to communicate on a phone. So I guess I know that was a lot of information, but the first component, do you advocate for basic ASL um, in the service industry? Is that even the right place to start? And then I guess kind of when you're in that service industry, what is the best go-to in your mind? For selfish reasons, I would love to force everyone to learn some basic sign language. Absolutely. I think that would be great. I mean, it's also empowering and it would feel great, but I, I also understand that I have to be realistic. And I know that it, that can be really tough for some people. ASL is not for everybody. By any means, do I believe that this is not an easy language? But I do think that people can learn to accommodate. If you don't know basic sign language, at least be empathetic and be ready to have paper back and forth. Be prepared to do that. Have some kind of a device maybe. If that is taking time because of the back and forth, be patient. Wait until that deaf individual is finished and then take the next step. I've had plenty of situations where I've needed to write and the hearing customer behind me will be like, oh, come on, let's go. Or they'll be impatient. And it sometimes feels like you should let me finish my side before you take yours. So it's also an advocacy of patience. I think people in the service industry should take maybe a reasonable accommodations training that could sure teach some basic ASL, but would at the very minimum require some kind of empathy, be responsive, be attentive and be patient. I think that we need to recognize that it's oftentimes we center situations toward ourselves and our own needs. It's not just us, it's not just deaf individuals. There are so many situations that we see that circulate throughout social media of people being oppressed 
for a variety of different identities, for a variety of different backgrounds and abilities. So I feel that um, while in our situation, it's a bonus to be serviced with sign language, I feel that more so in order to encompass every individual that the service industry may come across, that there be diversity training, inclusion training, bias, unconscious bias training, and that should go for any workforce, the police workforce, the federal workforce, the service industry, um, private companies. And so I think that would be something to push more because those entail hopefully skills that every individual adopts that will allow them to include each person they encounter whether that's a language difference, a physical difference, um, different abilities. So yeah, that's, that, that's what I would advocate for so that we can include everybody. She hit the nail on the head in that last portion. I just really want to emphasize that for people who are deaf, but also for people with different disabilities or abilities in general, everybody has different obstacles. You know, deaf people aren't the only ones who are facing this. We want to make sure that we're including everybody who has disabilities, period, you know? Like, I'm not going to applaud Taco Bell and Kettering for finally having employees who will be conscious about communicating with deaf people. I will applaud them after they've made sure that any person who enters that door is getting the same experience that we're getting and being able to interact in that environment, whether that be a physical ramp, wider doors, accessible bathrooms, print that is on the menus that includes each language or the ability to be able to click on which language you would like to see the menu in. You know, we can do that today with the technology that we have. We can do that in this century. We just gotta have the owners, the leaders, the authority of, above all of this to funnel those resources and make those things happen because they're the ones who are in power. They're the ones who can make that happen and we'll be here to be the voice to make sure that that happens. So for a long time on airplanes, you know, when you're watching a movie on the airplane, that's pretty fancy. It's pretty nice. But for a long time, there were no captions. And we're deaf, you know, now, and I'm going back to the deafness thing, but that's because that's our experience. But, you know, like you can always see these movies and they're talking and they're moving. You're watching the action. But now today there are captions, not on all of them. Some of them will show them, but like on movies and on planes after so long to have that added, it's a big deal. You know, they just started that. And I know I'm talking about a long time ago and I know that these things take time for change to happen, but I'm hoping that now that the service industry in the future is going to develop some kind of device that will be accommodating at least for a group of people, you know, for example, drive throughs maybe they can come up with something where you can text in the drive through or you can type in the drive through instead of having to talk back and forth and use auditory cues to order. You know, change does happen. And I'm looking forward to see what happens in the future. You know, things are always improving and things do take time. But I also want to say that I recognize and I'm fortunate to be living here in the U.S. because in the U.S., 
you know, we do have reasonable accommodations. We're fortunate that we have the ADA, which is the Americans with Disabilities Act that provides us with those accommodations in those small areas. Those hometowns where like C3 grew up in, you're fighting for those resources as compared to DC where there's an abundance of resources. But the ADA is written in the law for every American. And if we fight for it, we're going to have the progress that we want. But that's the thing is we have to continue fighting for it. And I'm, I'm here for it. I want to continue fighting. So that's just, that's just me. Well, I feel like there's not really any magic that we need to do. Going through a drive-through, there was one situation where we gave our order on the phone and then they wanted to ask us what kind of sauce would you like? They, this person recognized on the get, from the get-go that we were communicating in a certain way that indicated that we're not going to be using our voices. So we may not be able to hear them in return. What they did was they lifted all the sauces up and showed us and said, which one with kind of a question look on their face. And we pointed which one we wanted. There was no magic to that. It wasn't some technology that cost a lot of money. It wasn't like their building changed or anything. It was just that person had it in them to think creatively and just communicate a little differently. And we got our sauce and we enjoyed our meal after that. And I wanted to add, I for, did forget one thing. I don't want to lose that train of thought. So here's something for food for thought. I can't think of a specific situation, but I am a little bit annoyed. I do get a little bit annoyed, not always. When you're at the cash register to pay or buy, sometimes they'll talk to you and you'll say, what? And then they'll say, oh, never mind, never mind. Maybe it really wasn't relevant or worth it, but what if it was something we wanted to know? But that like, oh, never mind, never mind. It's a little bit annoying and it continues to promote that isolation. You know, you could at least lift up a paper and write it down. Things like that would make a difference. You know, maybe she was asking for my phone number, which obviously I'm not going to give her, but it's about the access. It's about the access, you know, but I don't like that, that like, oh, never mind, never mind. That is something that you should never do when you're communicating with a friend or a family member or whoever. If you're telling a story and somebody says, what? If you say what, if you say it to a deaf person, if a hearing person says, never mind, or I'll tell you later, just don't do that. Those are simple rules to follow. Don't do it. I mean, that's part of our lives. That's so annoying. It's not my fault that I can't hear what you're saying. You know, it's not my fault you didn't come up with the accommodation. But don't ever say never mind or I'll tell you later because we've been told that our whole lives. You have to work with me. If you want me to be included, you have to make the effort to include me. Don't tell me I'll tell you later because I'll tell you later is dismissive. Maybe 80 to 75% of the time, they never tell you later. So then you're left out of the conversation and it's a whole isolation cycle all over again. So tip for hearing people, if you want to talk to a deaf person, please don't ever say never mind or I'll tell you later. Find a way to make the effort because they are people with hearts too. They're human too. I think the moral of that story is I feel like not to give up. There's too much where there are too many situations where people give up on us. So I think never mind or walking away rolling your eyes, 
It's not like we want it to be this way. And don't compare us to a deaf dog. We're not dogs, you know, or your great grandmother with hearing loss at 85 years old. Like, wow, I've never said to somebody like in all of my hearing family, like, oh my gosh, my cat can hear. Wow. Or like when hearing people meet deaf people, they're like, oh yeah, I know sign language. I know one person who knows sign language. But there's a whole community of deaf people who have different experiences. It's a nice way to connect. Absolutely. And I'm not saying not to say those things, but also keep in mind that saying like, I have a deaf family member. I have a deaf dog. You know, I am an individual person. See me as Maya. See me as who I am. Deaf is a big part of my identity. Yes, but I am a person at the end of the day. See me for who I am, not for the identity I carry it's kind of like at work. I have a few friends at work. I don't have a lot of friends. I mean, most of them are my colleagues, but I only have a few people who truly understand me or who are willing to connect with me when I'm having a hard time. Because of communication issues and because of barriers, a lot of people don't understand me. They don't know me well. So that's a little frustrating because I want to show them who I really am, you know, and that can be really hard. So when you see us hearing people, see us for who we are, not for the identity that we carry. That was beautiful. Um, <laughs> I really, uh, I appreciate both of you opening up and, you know, and sharing that. And I think, you know, C3 had touched on this earlier, like empathy is really what, what a lot of this comes down to, like being willing to just genuinely share our human experience with someone and be willing to meet them where they're at and be willing to, you know, not, not just stop, be willing to, to give them what they need and, and treat them with the same respect that, that we would treat anyone else. Perhaps we have to do things in a little bit of a different way, but so what, right? Let's be creative. And I love the example with the sauce packets, right? Like I think we're in this innovation mindset in our world where we're like, all right, what, what new technology, and I'm, I'm a big technology buff, I'll, I'll be honest, but we're always set in what, what new technology can help us do this job. But sometimes it's just print a little bit of the extra receipt paper out, grab that pen and, and do the old fashioned, write it down method. Like sometimes that's just, that's the best tool for this job. So that was great. Thank you. Join us next week for the final part of our deaf culture series. C3 and Maya will talk about deaf culture in general, COVID and the deaf community, and the difference between big D deaf and little d deaf. Thanks for listening.